0: For this episode, I'm on the Gold Coast in a cool garage. It's not mine, but I wish it was. I'm sitting with my guest, Charlie Schwerkolt, supercars team owner, successful business owner and very proud family man from a long line of Schwerkolts who emigrated here several generations ago now and have done well through sheer hard work. Charlie hasn't been afraid to roll the dice a bit Actually, the more correct term would be to take a calculated punt, and it's paid off. More on that later. In this chat, you'll learn about his background and the incredible job he's done expanding their forklift business, which was started well before his move into motorsport. These days, you know him from Team 18, currently running Gen 3 Camaros for Mark Winterbottom and Scott Pye. But David Reynolds is going to join them next year, as we have recently learned. For a time, he was involved with Dick Johnson Racing over a decade ago when James Courtney won the title. Charlie doesn't go deep into it, but sadly his friendship with DJ is no longer, and so far, time hasn't been able to heal it. Keep in mind when we get to that subject that Dick or the Johnson family aren't a part of this convo and they may have a different view of things. Form your own opinion, and as I always try and do, Take a balanced approach. Motorsport is a tough business and it happens sometimes. This, after all, is Charlie's story and it's more wide reaching than just motorsport. There will be takeaways here for those of you with small businesses. And wait till we get to the cars. There are some beauties here. Oh, and he's been boating with a former US president. That's a great story. Ever since I've known Charlie, he has always always greeted me with this beaming smile and today is no different. He has this zest for life and a work ethic I truly admire. In the midst of his busy schedule and a phone that rings its head off we have somehow found a window for an overdue podcast convo. I hope you enjoy being part of it. It is fantastic to catch up with you. I want to get to some of the cool cars we are sitting around a little bit later in the in the chat. Can we take people um, on a little bit of a journey uh, of your story pre-racing? I want to talk the Schwerkolt family, if I, I can. You have German origins that, that date back, um, I think the family
1: emigrated here in kind of almost the mid-1800s. Didn't they? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, thanks, Rusty. Great to be uh, chatting today. Really, really exciting to do this uh, little piece with 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 us together. Um, yeah, the Schwierkot name's a German name, and we go way, way back into the uh, the. Uh, I think we came out to Australia in the in the eighteen fifties, and uh, immigrants from Prussia it was then near which is near Berlin, and uh, came out to Australia to do some farming and live uh, live a better life. And and I think my uh, great great-grandfather august work on just got married and then hopped in a boat called the emilu i think that was its name or out something of hamburg, like that i think wasn't it the hamburg that's it, hamburg yeah. and then and then sailed out to australia and and it's quite incredible 10 percent of the the people died of of scurvy or one of those diseases then and uh, anyway they survived and and they uh and they went to melbourne and uh and in Northcote, and started a little farm there, and thinking Northcote's right in the centre of Melbourne now. And they had a farm there of a couple of acres. The family
0: are an industrious lot, aren't they, mate? <laughs> when you when you look back over history, you've all had this, uh, this this immense work ethic. So orchard produce you've you've alluded to there a moment ago. I think I think road materials, charcoal, was some of the early kind of.
1: Work? Yeah, that's right. So, so after Northcote, they wanted more land, and uh, so they ventured way out into Mitcham wadding area, and uh, which is still right in the centre of Melbourne today. And uh, and they, I think they ended up with about 150 acres in total, which was a big, you know, property then mm. uh, back in those days. And as you said, mined, uh, did some quarrying, and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, eventually, uh, looking for something extra to do. Uh, got into empty bottle collecting and started a business called uh, Schwerkop Bottle Yards. Mm, which is,
0: I think, if I'm right, the early origins, perhaps, of the term bottle-o. It, it, was, it was about people leaving their bottles outside and, and being collected and
1: things like that, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, back in the day, there's only one... There's only really two ways of getting rid of your beer bottles. and mm-hmm. Drinkers and, and you could either... Uh, Leave them in your backyard and Mm. you collect the amount like 20 dozen, 24 dozen, or you take them to a scout hall. So that's how it all started, and, and, and collecting these bottles started a great little business, and then then they got into bottle washing, mm-hmm. washing the bottles, and then selling them back to the wineries and the breweries. And this all started even before Carlton United Brew was even born. It well, was you know there was Richmond Brewery, Carlton Brewery, Abbotsford, and all these breweries, and and uh, started all that and collecting bottles. And you know, Dad had well, my grandfather's had about sixty odd horses going around the streets of Melbourne, Paran, that's where the, it was based in the end after Mitchum and Unawarding the Area then mm-hmm. moved to Peran and, and started that whole thing there and uh, became really successful there. It, councils kind of hustled in
0: on the business basically didn't <laughs> they and you you it might have been your grandfather I can't remember perhaps your great grandfather I want to say had a, uh, a a kind of light bulb moment or was it your dad that had the light bulb moment It was actually it? Dad. dad so right?
1: my, my grandfather uh, was born at Schwco Cottage his name was Charles <laughs> and uh, I'm my father uh, he's also Charles. Uh, Dad worked hard since he was about fifteen years old, and and collected the bottles, worked the bottle yards really, really hard. And it's 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 a hard business. It's really hard. Bottle mm. o's, scrap metal, a uh, bit of theft, bit of dodgy <laughs> stuff going on everywhere, <laughs> and and uh, it, it's a hard game. And uh, and you're talking cents. You know, I remember when I was a kid, starting, we'd pay eight cents a dozen. That's all you'd pay, and you'd these people would collect twenty-four dozen bottles, and you get a dollar ninety two, which is quite incredible. But mm. anyway, Dad, Dad worked it hard, and I think in nineteen seventy three, the councils changed the way they collected bottles. You could put your bottles out on the nature strip for the Garbos to get them. Mm-hmm. So that sort of ruined the bottle yard business to a degree, and and uh, entered recycling companies like Vizzy and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Dad thought, "Bloody hell, what am I going to do?" And being inventive in 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 uh, you know tried to work out what he's going to do. And uh, he had three forklifts in the bottle yard. And, and he thought, okay, well, I'll loan them out, rent them out, try and sell them. So uh, he ended up renting them out in in our street in Mount Waverley after we moved there. And, and uh, he rented them out. And I thought, this is not a bad little business. So he started a company called Waverley Forklifts back in 1973. And uh, before you know it, um, I joined in 1976 and there was 12 forklifts and uh, it's quite incredible how it all started. 50th anniversary year. That's amazing. And what it's become
0: from those very humble beginnings is massive. True national representation in Australia. It's huge, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. It's a massive business now. Give people a snapshot just, just you know, in a basic way if you can.
1: Yeah, look, so Wavely's grown to be... Uh, a truly independent, the largest independent forklift company in Australia. It's It's got a branch, as you said, in every state in Australia. It's running... Way over five and a half thousand forklifts in its rental fleet now. It's um, Twert's biggest customer in Australia. It's 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 a fantastic business. Mm. It's like any business had its ups and downs and recessions and all that sort of stuff. But we've soldiered on. I've been there forty five years and I I honestly still love going there every day. I've got a great team of people and and uh, yeah, it's it's a truly fantastic business. And uh, so yeah, it's going well.
0: We'll touch more on a couple of other aspects of the business and things that you've done over time through this conversation. I love the fact that you brought up that Charles is a reoccurring name in the family. <laughs> I reckon that's important too. And it was perhaps your great-great-grandmother who was a, a very good historian. She has preserved a lot of the, the the memories, the writings, the business cards, receipts, photos, and and so on that date right back, hasn't she? The Waverly Way is this book that has been put together to to encompass, to celebrate these 50 years. And it's got some some amazing things that she's kept or started the process of keeping?
1: Yeah, look, uh, it's, it's actually my auntie. Is it uh, your dad's auntie? Dad's sister. Sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah. Auntie Rosie, i call her, and um, she's on the White Horse Historical Society and Schwerko Cottage, our, our, our old cottage that the family had, uh, from the 1850s is still going and it's open to the public. So she's sort of in charge of that area and the, the artefacts, the whole thing, the history mm-hmm. and it's one of the oldest buildings still standing in Melbourne and it, it's quite incredible history and to have all that documentation and history, is, it, it's really incredible and uh, it's great to go up there. I don't go often up there much but it's great to see that cottage, you know, still standing, you know, nearly 150 odd Years ago.
0: You restored an old buggy, I think, too, or had one restored, didn't you?
1: Yeah, we we, well it was parked in one part of the the museum. We had to move it across. So being adaptive, go and get an old forklift and move (laughs) it across, lift it right over some fences and and put it in there. So yeah, that was incredible. And it's for anyone, you know, in Melbourne, it's it's worth going and have a look at Schwergot Cottage. It's it's a very special place.
0: There is a transport um to the business too, WFL transport, and it links it kind of Altogether, forklift transport doesn't it?
1: Correct. So um, Waverley's um, a one-stop shop, and uh, my dad started by saying, you know, when you, when you get a forklift, that you want the driver to be the ambassador and and uh, deliver the forklift. So the first person, do you want? To, here's your new forklift, cetera. So we've we've kept on that journey with our customer-owned trucks, no subcontractors. It's all our own gear and um so yeah we're moving hundreds of forklifts a day and there's hundreds going out every day so we we use our own drivers I think there's about 40 odd trucks in the fleet now in every state in Australia we just deliver forklifts that's all we do and it's 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 great
0: you talked about um, moving into the business I think you see it around the the mid 70s there am I correct in saying that it was about 1988 maybe 30 35 years ago that you kind of effectively took charge if you like um, how old were you then how big was that step how big were the learnings obviously if you've been Im- immersed in the family business there's there's hands on stuff you've learned along
1: the way but when you find yourself in charge it's a very different deal charlie isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it is um so yeah so i joined in 1976 i was 15 i um i went to um I ended up going to Campbell Grammar. I didn't really want to go. I wanted to go to Jordanville Tech, hands-on type of thing. But mum said, you've got to get an education in in uh, maths and English especially, and which I thankfully, you know, I did learn that part. But but I, I didn't really want to be there. I really wanted out. So I just turned 15 and the school said, no, nah, you've got to go. It's it, you're just, This is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> not, not for me at all. So I moved in and uh, I... Did a uh, I was on the bottles for a year and it was really interesting going around picking up bottles and uh, with the, the bottle merchants you know mm-hmm. Dad's bottle miss uh, business at the time and and making all that work and then I did an apprenticeship as a uh, forklift mechanic and learning the ropes and and working with Dad and uh and that was good and learned the ropes but i could see when i got my truck license delivering these old secondhand forklifts dad had i thought there's got to be better the customers are complaining about the oil leaks the technology even though there wasn't much back then but the the forklift masts were the old center ram type and heavy steering and lots of oil leaks and and i thought there's got to be a better way and i mm. thought why don't we get some new forklifts some brand new ones invest and dad said no And, uh, because at the time dad didn't borrow money, that was the really old school way of doing it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you don't borrow money, you only pay for, you know, what you can afford. So, um, we sort of came up with a plan that I, that I took over the business then in 1988 and, uh, and uh, the first thing I did was go and buy 20 brand new forklifts. And I thought, back in the time, I thought, I felt like it was Alan Bond. This is massive. This is just, just huge. Big step. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but unfortunately, we had this recession that came on that we had to, to have. have. <laughs> and they all came back. So. <sighs> I had to get them out and, and interest rates then, you know, you talk about interest rates today, are, you know, 5 and 6 and 7%. What are we talking
0: about? 17% or something,
1: 18 and a 18.5% I got to and uh, so, yeah, it was massive. So I had to get them out and uh, I remember we did get them out in the fruit season um, and they, they, you know, that was the beginning, getting them out. We, we were about service and mm. and. Uh, uh, making it work for customers and uh, so we got them out and then the journey began of slowly building and building and building and and uh, and where it is today.
0: We get lots of people that run their own businesses that listen to the, the pod, um, probably can't give away all the secrets of success <laughs> but is there an overarching message that you, you would say? What do you reckon one, is one of the key ingredients to, to why you are 50 years later where we are? What's been one of the underpinning things? do you think for you there's
1: there's quite a few things one the passion Mm. i seriously after 46 years i've been there my whole life but as a permanent employee there 46 years and i have the passion and the drive to make it work and i it's my baby and i've Mm. built it up and i love it i love the passion that i've got for that business and uh and obviously, the big thing is the people. I've got some incredible people. Some have been there thirty years and or plus, And there's some really special people. And and we work as a team to make it to make it the best forklift company in Australia. And of course, you build a good culture. Mm. The culture is incredible. We've got and uh, staff retention's good. We're in this environment. A lot of people moving around, and uh, we've got good staff retention. And and uh, it's great. It's a great place. And uh, and uh so yeah it's it's a very special thing
0: i love that you brought up truck driving because it's not (laughs) uncommon for us to see pics of you doing that, when you go through the book, there's a really cool shot of an old Bedford with, a, I reckon, a Holden 308 yeah. V8 in it. Yep. Did you drive that?
1: Yeah, I did. Did you? Many, many years. Um, I used to, in the very early days, picking up bottles from Yarra Glen, and there was driving up from Mount Waverley to Yarra Glen, had a few hills and all that, and it had an old petrol six and a blue smoke, and <laughs> I thought, we've got to go faster than this, so let's put a V8 in it, and uh, that's what you did, but... It created problems putting a V8 because vacuum brakes back in the day, and you'd have to really stamp on the brake pedal to stop because they had so much go. But, but look, um, you still drive them now, don't you? I've, I've seen relatively <laughs> recent
0: picks, haven't I? Yes, yeah,
1: and yeah, no, I still uh, look, that's your roots where you grow up, and you never forget that ever. And, um, I've got respect as a driver in the whole business, I'll match any of the truck drivers there and mm. have a bit of fun with them on the radio, etc. But, um, that's how you grew up. And yeah, I, I love hopping in a truck now and then. It's it's good fun and, and uh, you see a lot, you learn a lot and you, you learn about your business, where the, the, the forklifts are going, etc. But it's a long way from the old petrol Bedford, that's for sure. And we've got some beautiful Kenworths and he knows now and uh, yeah, it's fabulous.
0: The array of equipment that you, you supply and you work with means that you have a, a presence at, at lots of events. And I immediately think of things like the Australian Formula One Grand Prix. We've seen um, Supercross at, at Marvel Stadium, for example, Spring Carnival. And you've also done some stuff around some big-name music acts, haven't you?
1: Yeah, look, part of the business, a lot of short-term um events and as you as you said, the Grand Prix, that's our biggest we um when it came to Melbourne. We missed the first year. They had lots of troubles with the forklifts, but we supply all the gear for the Grand Prix and, and it's it's a special event. It mm-hmm. it creates work from the end of January right through to May type S- of thing. Setting
0: up and dismantling basically aren't correct you, yeah. all mm-hmm. the concrete blocks
1: mm-hmm. and the fencing and, and even though the tracks just under six kilometers, um there's fencing blocks on both sides of the track so there's about 12 kilometers of blocks and debris fencing and all that sort of stuff and then all the pit lane stuff with with our friends at gibson freight and do all that and so there's about 180 bits of gear um just at the grand prix doing that and then as you said the concerts you know we've got taylor swift coming up soon that'll be 35 40 machines just going for that concert in every state in australia um Spring racing that's starting now, and I I just found out today we're de- delivering our first forklifts to the the tennis open, which doesn't start till January, and they're starting to build all the precinct there. So machines are going there. Every supercar event, there's gear goes everywhere, and uh, yeah, it's it's great that you can be in any state in Australia. Oh, there's some of my forklifts there, and then, you know they they're everywhere the daughter of every race driver in the country that loves Taylor
0: Swift is about to call you. Good luck with that.
1: Well, I've been trying to get tickets for my daughter and uh, even though we do the forklifts, we still can't. She's pretty close with the tickets. She won't give any away. So I think, uh, yeah, I think we'll be missing out.
0: Before we go to racing, because people will be uh, on the edge of their seat wanting to know more about that. Can we, can we ask about... Moments where you've dealt with tough stuff. You've talked about, you know, the recession we had to have, and big interest rates. We've had COVID recently, and so on. What's the What's the key in, in your mind? Because you haven't been afraid to have a go, Charlie. Your your dad was a bit more uh, on, on perhaps on the cautious side in a business sense, and that that's, yeah. that still serves you well. But you, oh, yeah, you've been sure. you've not been afraid
1: to have a go, what's been the secret of navigating some of the, the tougher moments economically or business-wise? Oh, look, you've got to make a, a, a decision sometimes. You've got to stick to that decision and and just go with it. We've we've obviously had plenty of challenging times and probably the biggest challenge has been COVID that was very challenging in the beginning and I'll never forget we're at the Grand Prix and of course i got all this gear going around and we're racing ironically at the mm. same time and then I sort of had a bit of a hunch what was going on because of our interaction there, and we were told that morning, "Hey, listen, your forklifts are going to start packing up today." And I thought, far out. But in that next couple of weeks, we had five hundred forklifts come back in in about a three to four week period, and I, I never forget going back to the the boardroom with our staff. We've got dehires everywhere, and it was the unknown. People mm. didn't know what was going on at all, and yeah, it was a bit scary. Then that was probably the scariest. You could navigate through those early days. There was not as much to lose. And I had a lot to lose If when you had 500 forklifts come back and potentially more. But obviously those tough times, opportunity also, for those who are brave, I'm, I'm, I'm not scared to take a risk. And uh, we could see it starting to turn in, that was May 20, I think, no, March 2020 when it all started. But we could see it starting to turn, slow right down in, in about August. And I'm thinking... I think there's going to be a shortage of machines. Just they're going everywhere in the world and why don't we buy a massive amount of machines? So I came up with a new plan. Yes, it was a big risk and we bought a lot of machines off Toyota and and then they started going out and then got more machines. And as you know, in, in some of the the world is stock is king and we had the stock and so we grew the business dramatically um, in 21 and 22 of just servicing uh, all our customers that have grown with us and uh, it's, it's been good but just never give up. From one legendary team boss to another strap
0: in and maybe get a beer Drink responsibly, please. Otherwise, Rusty will get me in trouble. Now, imagine managing two of the most competitive drivers on the planet, Craig Lowndes and Mark gave Over to Jeff Greg to tell us all about it.
1: Those two blokes were a were a handful, but boy, did did they lift the team. I mean, geez, I, there wouldn't have been a day gone by when when those two were in the workshop that that there was not a positive come out of any negative. So, but. Absolutely. As a team manager, that's when the hair started receding and um, and one beer a night turned into a couple.
0: Catch the legendary former Holden Racing team boss, Jeff Gregg, in the garage library. People would be interested to know about, I mean, we're surrounded by some very cool cars. You're, you're a car person. There are, um, in your office, you have some special Marcus Ambrose helmets. There's all kinds of memorabilia that, that surrounds us here. So the place
1: oozes it. Did you race carts when you were younger, and how did you go? <laughs> <laughs> um, I did race carts when I and I loved it, and I still, hmm. um, I still when the when we do a, a corporate function with some of our sponsors, and I, I'll still go and have a go. And getting a little bit rusty at the moment, but you know I'll always the two drivers would be one and two, and then I'd probably always come a third. But hmm. uh, love my karting and I started Oakley Oakley Cart Club. With a made of mind, Mark. Famous uh, Mark Oscar was. That's, I think yeah, that's yeah, home for no, him. Yeah, no, a little bit earlier. No, than I know that. that,
0: but that's that's what I'm. You know, telling people yeah. that's where he's from. And so. then I
1: remember going. I came fifth in a an Australian title at Brooklyn, and it was the last year of Brooklyn, so I don't know when that was. It was. Eighties or something, mm-hmm. uh, that was the last before Todd Road, and that was the Melbourne's track then. And tell me about can, the cart, what class, what what class? I was Clubman line, mm-hmm. so yes, just uh, the MR one hundred engines. you will remember now, and yeah. it's probably some bits and pieces floating around, but um, loved it. And mm-hmm. I, you know, every Sunday I'd be, you know, somewhere around Victoria doing that, and throw the cart in the back of the truck, and it was good fun. And I've always had that interest in car racing. I wanted to go speedway, I wanted to do other things, but look, work, forklifts really got in the way and had a love for building a beautiful business which I I did but that interest in cars and car racing has been there and as a kid dad take me to Bathurst all the time and I remember in the 60s and 70s going up there and Bill Brown there's a photo of me with with Bill Brown rolling that HO Falcon right across the top and I'm standing next to it and it's on this little fence there and it's incredible and going to Sandown as a kid um, because we lived only about four or five k's from Sandown and Mm. And the old pits there, and see Alan Moffat, of course, and Bond, and and all my heroes there, and it, it was special times. And so yes, I've watched it all the time and loved it. I, I really have. So
0: what you've now ended up doing as a as a team owner and so on was the early genesis for let's call it a, a Waverley forklift involvement or or a. a more of a, a presence, if you like, even if you weren't racing in in a karting sense, like you were. There is a pick in the book. I think it's Mark Walker, and he's got a an HQ Holden. That's on on a flatbed of oh, yeah. of yours. I mean, is that some of the early stuff where you were supporting people, perhaps? And so For on? sure,
1: yeah. yeah. Look, um, we were definitely. I, I'm. I saw a front guard the other day of Owen Kelly and supporting Owen Kelly for something and a few others and all that sort of stuff. And Excellent. I enjoy, you know, people getting success out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, wherever I can help, I, I did. And, and uh, so, yeah, there's always been an involvement, a small one, all the way through to the DJR days. Wow. So is that the first kind of big step
0: to go and play or did you do something else in in a racing involvement sense or and how did how did the the kind of conversation come about obviously you two at that stage knew each other pretty well how did how did you get involved and when did it kick off
1: 2008 no well look it it actually started in 2001 i think it was um i was going to the the touring car races where you were commentating there probably Mm. way back then i'm not sure Full
0: gray hair charlie (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: um and uh with a bunch of mates, we'd go to the races. We'd go to Bathurst and hop on a light plane somewhere and, and tour around Australia. And and it, it was special doing those with fun mm. fun things and all that sort of stuff. But obviously I had a serious thing of looking around. And anyway, uh, this one particular car uh, time I, I went up with a friend, Gary, and we had a couple of seats on the way back from Winton. So Gary said, look, I know Dick Johnson and do you mind if, you know, he'll come back on the plane. So I think it was... Dick and John Bow that came back, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, but they came back on the plane. And uh, Dick being Dick, he, he's, I sat next to him and he said, so what do you do? I've never met Dick in my life. And I said, look, I, I rent forklifts out and sell and rent forklifts out. And straight away he said, I need a new forklift. Why don't we hook up? And, and uh, I reckon he's done his homework, but why don't we <laughs> hook up and uh, see uh, see if we can do some sort of a deal? So I think it was a couple of weeks later, this is an one I went up to, to his his workshop and, and he gave me a, a ride with him and a, a door for the car which I've still got somewhere and a few other bits and pieces and I think I put my name on Waverley Forklifts on the car back then. Excellent. And and uh, we struck a friendship mm. and uh, so that was 01 and then sort of it started really 02, 03 and sort of being involved with the team and then, you know. Just on a friendly not rushing in or out, absolutely not doing much at all, but uh, and then ended up sort of sponsoring the team a little bit in 04, 05, mm. just on a on a very small way and helping where I could helping a mate and it would ultimately
0: get to a point where you were kind of heavily involved and in a in a hands on way with the team weren't you in, 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 yeah you know? uh
1: where I could help mm. i i I guess. It was a learning thing. If I, if I, you know, to be honest, you know, the car racing thing, mm. the whole thing. The was it your commercial page...
0: strength? What was it that you were bringing to the table? you were? Yeah, yeah, just yeah. the commercial side. Mm.
1: Yeah, mm. the commercial side, and and just another sounding board. He had mm. uh, he had David Siegel looking after the drivers and doing PR and all mm. that sort of stuff there, and and uh, at the time Steve Chalker was running it, and and then uh, I was just another sounding board mm. as a mate, really. And we used to go boating together and doing quite a few things like that, and. Mm. And uh, so it was good. I enjoyed those early days for sure. It was
0: the, good. The zenith, the highlight, of course, is the title 2010. Mm. James Courtney. You to this day still have a, a good connection with Adrian Burgess. I think Adrian, when he came out from um, the UK with with family, you were big on sort of uh, helping them settle in here and and um, things like that. I mean, that year was fairy tale in in many ways, and it had its challenges,
1: didn't it? Yeah, look, it was tumultuous in the end, which is mm. a real shame. But uh, going back to Adrian, you know, i never forget. It was at Wanneroo. It was at Wanneroo, I think it was 06. Yeah, it was Wanneroo 06. And... Dick came to me. I'm I'm looking for a new team manager, and there was two that he was looking at. I think, one was Jeff Gregg and one mm-hmm. was Adrian Burgess. That he flew out from England, and uh, Adrian got the gig, which is which is good, and, and built up a relationship with Adrian, and and uh, as you said, won the championship in the end. But 07 came along, and then uh, Dick wanted to. Dick got into strife, as you know, mm-hmm. in 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 a big way financially, and. Uh, I think, um, you know, at the end of 07, he basically sold the team to John Marshall uh-huh. and uh, from No Limit Group uh-huh. and uh, Marcus was his son, of course. And then uh, – but unfortunately, it all fell over in January. I'm not sure the reason why. And then Dick sort of, can you help me out? Uh-huh. And uh, so I ended up buying 50% of the team in the beginning of 08 and set about building the team – um, back up again from from where it was, because yeah. it was in a bit of a financial mess. Yeah.
0: The, the tough part was because you you I mean you had Will Davison, James Courtney came in, and and so on. Um, naturally, CVJs around. So they're, they're, the pros were trying to you know win the title and move forward a certain way, and and it it was tough in a friendship sense for you guys, mate. In the end, wasn't it? I mean, you didn't did you really even get to celebrate that twenty ten
1: no not really no unfortunately it was it was tough and Mm. and uh um we're pulling at each other one's going the family way and Mm. and the others the business model and one's trying to win and and it was all over the joint and 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 then you know i'm buying dick out he's buying me out the whole thing and then nathan tinkler's involved Mm. to to he's going to rescue the the, the partnership type yeah. of thing and that never happened and so it was a bit messy. So unfortunately we we split the team up after the championship winning yeah. uh, period then and, yeah, it, it was a very, very tough time unfortunately. No, I I didn't celebrate it all really and uh, I think I've had a few quiet drinks with James Courtney now and then yeah. over the, the journey or Adrian and it, it was a bit of a sad way to end it but yeah. I know I was at the helm of the wheel doing all that and, yeah, I can still help my head high of what we achieved back then mm. and uh, uh to win that championship is still quite incredible you kept the car that's in reception isn't it Yeah, i so got the Melbourne. car which is great mm. it's a beautiful car it's fully restored and uh yeah i love it and uh yeah. Have you had a steer no but <laughs> i i it was funny um current team manager, Bruin, said, why don't you take this car to Goodwood? It'd be just amazing to take there and do something like that. So we toyed about the idea of this year, but mm-hmm. it was just too rushed. And uh, But I'd certainly love to take it over there. And But, yes, yeah, so I've got to, you know, at the end of this year, I'm, I promise myself I've got to get that car out and, and do some laps and learn how, uh, how how good she is.
0: Good on you. This may be a question you, you're not comfortable to answer, and I'll fully respect that if you don't want to. Has time healed wounds? Are you... And Dick able to sort of chat now or is it just a chapter that's closed and you've gone your way and
1: he's gone his? Yeah, look, no, I don't mind answering it. No, it's unfortunately it hasn't really healed anything there. Mm-hmm. It's He he was, I guess, bitter about the whole thing and it, it, just the way it went. So I'll say hi, he'll say hi and, and that's it, we you move, move on. on. But the rest of everyone else, yeah, no drummers at all.
0: You kept the wreck. You decide to embark on your own journey when did you decide that how big was that decision because you're going from having a a, an involvement a stakeholding a partnership if you will to charting your own course in supercars was that something you thought long and hard about and when did you hit the go button
1: yeah it was a tough one Um, um i'm trying to go back now and and uh I uh, so in the end, yes, Nathan Tinkle was going to buy us out, and then far out it was going to be. Uh, it 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 fell over, so we basically split the team in half, and Dick took his wreck, and I took mine, 18, and he mm-hmm. had 17 numbers, and uh, and we 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 split everything, split the debt, split everything, and. Uh, um, and we go down that path and, and Dick continued on by getting an investor, which was Steve Braybeck, mm-hmm. the Crimsafe, Crimsafe owner, and he'll, Dick, get along and move on. And then I decided what I'm going to do with this wreck and the whole thing. So I leased it back to Dick for, for the period of, that was part of our deal for 2011 and 2012. And I leased it back for those two years. Mm. And so i sort of out of the sport and, uh, Just watching from the sidelines. Never went to a race or anything like that. And Mm. a bit of a tough time, obviously. You know, on the front page of the paper, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit of a tough time. How dark? Yeah, pretty dark. And Mm. uh, but I, I soldiered on. I ended up, you know, working hard in the business. Obviously, Um, uh, the Forklift side is still going strong Mm. and building. And then uh, those mental. Challenges, you think, wow, could I've done it different, and, and everything the way it all worked. I went and did the kokoda Trail. I went and did that with the, uh, one of the guys, Phil Young, who was uh, a physio on uh, the team, mm. and and that was challenge. That was really good. That was a, you know, you, you climb the, that mountain there, and wow, and you can do anything then. And don't undersell that. I,
0: I um, I'm very proud. Twenty years ago, I did a trek to Everest Base Camp with my wife, but I've spoken to others who have done Kakoda. Um, I've not done it. And, um, you know, I think Jess Yates has done it. I want to say maybe Dylan Allcott too. I can't remember. But, but I mean, grueling, mate. I mean, you learn a lot about yourself, I would imagine.
1: In yeah, that, yeah in you that. did for sure. Yeah. i never forget. I'm cutting 20 kilos, training in the Narang State Forest every twice a week, three times a week with 20 kilos on my backpack and I'm thinking, what am I doing? This is just Mm. grueling. But that training, all that training going up and down with a couple of poles and everything Mm. and it was grueling. It was really, really tough and, of course, we went there. It rained nonstop for the six days we did it, nonstop. And you're in mud up to your ankles through rivers and everything like that but Mm. um, it was nothing compared to what they did in the war and, Mm. and, uh, and it was incredible. But I got back from there and thinking, you know what, this is, this is a great thing to do and uh, it's certainly uh, um, it's been yeah, in my memory mean forever. Excellent.
0: So you decide to create at some point team 18. <laughs> at, w- at what point did you go okay I'm I'm gonna hit the go button on this and did it involve a conversation with family? did you how did you sort of bring this all together?
1: Yeah, look, um, so 2011 and 2012, I've leased the wreck out and, and I had a chance, do I sell, do I go and do a, a customer thing? It's too hard to start your own team. Mm. Um, so I leased the wreck to to FPR, mm-hmm. the current Tickford people, and uh, I thought um, I um, uh, James Courtney was going to drive for me at that stage. Mm-hmm. He stayed... Where did he go? I can't even remember the puzzle but, um, yeah, he was going to come along board and uh, but he didn't and I uh, ended up getting Jeldon sponsorship for 2013, 2014 mm-hmm. and a very good friend of Nigel was uh, running that and uh, so I ended up thinking, well, the model stacks up. Mm. I get to go car racing, they do all the maintenance, the whole thing. I'll buy the car. And I thought this is a good way to go racing and uh, still involved, bring the sponsors on, look after the sponsors, and had one uh, Ben Nightingale. He was my commercial guy, mm-hmm. doing that with me. He's now with Ford. Mm-hmm. He's with Ford now, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, and so we started that way, and and off we went. And uh, and so Alex Davison uh, took the the helm at the wheel there, and uh, I think we finished about eleventh in that season. We got a podium at uh, Phillip Island, and and for the first year, it wasn't a bad year
0: there are when you're um, in that building phase to the team 18 that we now know today and you you have that um, that supplier connection or that customer co- connection mm. if you like um, it doesn't always mean that that the ingredients are perfectly there to do what a competitive childish Workout wants to wants to do so that means there are some testing times in that process until you find a structure that works for you and Bit of that happened, didn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, um, commercially, it's got to be sound for me and mm. the right partners and and working with people and uh, and I've had a lot of. You know, twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen, some of the sponsors way back then are still with us today and building and growing and that's a, a testament to them to be on the journey with me and getting a lot out of it. And because I like to deliver. I can't go racing without all these partners. And there's some very special partners like mm. Seiko Watches have been on since twenty fourteen and Manitou Forkless was twenty thirteen. But um, yeah, so I took that journey and kept going that way. Jack Perkins came on in 2014 i think i don't think it it was it wasn't the best year i think it was very hard the customer model back then Mm -hmm. i I felt i was the the fourth one in the chain there on the queue and uh it was a bit of a messy year then and i thought oh well 2015 i'm going to change camps from the ford camp um adrian's running uh Walkinshaw was a Racing team. The whole yes, yeah. racing team mm-hmm. then before it was then, while it yeah. was called. And I thought, this is going to be good. Go in there. I brought on Leah Holtzworth. Yep. That's right. And uh, away we go. Again, this customer model, uh, It's you, you. you felt like... Are the bits the same bits? Hmm. Why? Why do we have to let James Courtney go past? Why is this and all that sort of stuff? And I just felt, you know what? This is this is not exactly. If I'm in this, hmm. I've got to do it properly. And and uh, so I thought at the end of 2015, I think it was in New Zealand. I think it was one of the last rounds. I said to Lee, I I think we're going to go and do this on our own. We're going to go and start a team on their own. Hmm. And boy, oh boy did the world open of, of starting something from scratch mm. is really, really hard. you got to get a team manager, you've got to get a car, you've got to get staff, the whole thing. And I, I'm i not sure if I was the last person to start a team from scratch, you know, the... In the uh, current, current... In the current, the yep, yeah. Yep. But, you know, the Groves have bought Kelly's and mm. uh, Erebus bought Stones and Premier's bought Techno. So mm. I'm... I would. I think I'd be the last person from to scratch. start a team mm. from scratch and mm. that was a hard gig. So we, we rented a factory in Dandenong. Jeff had a lot of – Jeff Grek was our team manager, got him on board. Roland got me a second-hand car It was mm. the – the I think it was um, the car that uh, – the wild car that did Bathurst at the time, chassis mm-hmm. number one – or chassis number 30 and well, – that an Xbox car? An Xbox a- car, car, yeah. Yep. Bought that car off him because there was no cars available right at the end of, of 2015. So – we're away in 2016, and uh, then I got a naming rights sponsor, Preston Hire, and they're they're still good friends today. All all the naming rights, are still friends today from all those years back. But uh, and then we're away.
0: A couple of things I want to before we we sort of immerse ourselves into the the current state of play. Firstly, it's immediately obvious because uh, uh, I've seen you do it, and Adrian reminded me that the the commercial um management if you will the way you look after sponsors is is I would think a natural extension of what you do at Waverley it's it's something you're very good at you've been able to preserve them in the in the sort of um the the links that you talk about in in a business where it can be brutal where people try and poach each other's sponsors that's that's I'm not being rough when I say that that's a long almost tradition it's happened for a long long time how have you how have you gone about Keeping their arm around them and fencing them in, and what's been key to that, do you reckon?
1: Looking after them really well. I, I'm, I'm proud to say that, as I said, the the journey that they've been with us has been really solid. Mm. Um, I think I've only lost one major sponsor to another team, and it was probably money driven. Mm-hmm. Um, they were looked after very well, and you over, you know, always give more than you promise, and you mm. over deliver and um, communicate well, and and uh, you just you've they're investing a lot of money and they want a return and I'm, I make sure that they get a return Turn. and mm-hmm. if they don't well, we've let's sort out the problem what we need and and uh, say so yes we, we have our sponsor summits and we have all sorts of stuff and once you're with team 18 it's you, you should providing you're sponsoring a team yeah you'll stay there when you're in
0: that customer arrangement that you just talked about before you got to what we really now know as, as team 18, Did you have a moment perhaps where you talked with colleagues maybe family and went, should i really keep doing this did you contemplate not going any further
1: no i don't think so no Mm -hmm. i can't remember those days i it was very difficult when i couldn't deliver what i wanted to deliver Mm -hmm. um being in a customer team you only get this you only get that you're allowed to do this and your merchandise is over there, not with them, and all this sort of stuff. And mm. I just felt I wanted to have a go at doing my own thing, and prove to myself that there's a better way of doing it. Mm. And uh, I thought, well, I'm not a person that gives up, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'll go and I'll go and do it the right way commercially, how I think it should be done, and uh, and deliver to those people. And so, yeah, our colleagues especially, and and. Uh, yeah, we we made it work.
0: You are the energizer bunny, mate. You are this this bundle of always out going uh, passion and kind of positivity. Have you been that way your whole life, or is that something that has just been been learned? And does motor racing have its moments where that takes a bit away from you? Because that's your kind of. I feel like that's your natural quality.
1: Mm. Yeah. No, I've got this stupid amount of energy all the time absolutely stupid i go to work and everyone's oh, here he comes, <laughs> look out, <laughs> and uh, it's a bit of fun and all that, I love to have fun at work and Waverly and all that sort of stuff, and some and the same in the race team, you know, mm. I'm buzzing around everywhere and what's going on, and I, I don't micromanage people, build your people, build your staff the whole time, and so we had a lot of fun, but yeah, motor racing can uh, kill that abyss, and you can get knocked down, and you get turfed off, and you can have a, you know, a cruel engine failure, a rare mm. engine failure, on lap one at Bathurst in 2016, and I'm thinking this is good. We're looking good. And lap one, never forget, mm. halfway up the straight. No, I think it was on the, the the warm-up lap. The engine doesn't feel right. And then mountain straight, she's dead. And you want to live And and so yes, I'm always energising. I'm always positive. You know, you've you've got to be around positive people the whole time. And, and negative people don't do anything for me. I've just always positive people.
0: the end of part one of my podcast with team 18 supercars boss charlie schwerkold we are just warming up there is a second installment a second edition a part two for you all loaded up and ready perfect content to enjoy during the enduro part of the supercar season and that's when we are scheduled to release this from splitting with djr and working with other outfits in the pit lane to making the big commitment to go it alone plus some of the cool cars in his collection and a whole lot more, right here on Rusty's Garage.